The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. I'm Justin Cash. I'm the online editor here. And whether you love or hate crypto, you've probably realized it's here to stay. Despite the winter, crypto is having a huge influence on markets around the world and increasingly on institutions who think they might just be able to cash in on the blockchain. I think our guest might be able to help explain why. Lord Philip Hammond was Chancellor from 2016 to 2019. He's been Foreign Secretary, he's been Defence Secretary, he's been Transport Secretary. He knows a thing or two about policymaking, basically. Nowadays, you can find him advising Copper, a company that knows a thing or two about crypto. Welcome, Lord Hammond. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, after such a distinguished political career there, I guess my first question has to be, why make the move into crypto? Well, I, I think as um, during my term of office as Chancellor, we were thinking very carefully about what the post-Brexit world was going to look like. Uh, obviously, the UK had made the decision to leave the European Union. And um, in the uh, area of the economy for which the Treasury has direct responsibility, financial services, clearly the decision to leave the EU was going to have significant impact. Now, that may not happen overnight, <clears throat> but over time, um, it changes the way London can operate and, and the way uh, the logic for London being the global financial centre it is. And I have always felt that the solution to this conundrum is that London post-Brexit has to become willing to take a little bit more risk, to be a leader in embracing new technologies, new products, uh, new trading ideas, in order to ensure that we have something to offer from the UK, which keeps our partners in the European Union still engaged with London, however much they might like to break away and do their own thing, and which gives us um, some underpinning to the claim that London will remain a global financial centre. And uh, the digitization of financial services, not, not just the trading of what we currently call crypto assets, but the digitization of the whole financial services uh, ecosystem over time, I think is um, a very interesting place to be. So mm. that's where I started from. And, and I bumped into Copper um, early in my post-government career and realized that this is a company that um, has the technology platform that most of the world's big institutional players um, appear to uh, think is the uh, the leading uh, solution currently available. So how far along that development chain are institutions and critically, what are they using that crypto technology for? So it's early stages and I think you've got two separate things going on. Of course, you've got a bunch of financial institutions. Copper alone has over 500 
um, uh, wholesale or institutional clients, including uh, banks, hedge funds, asset managers, family offices, and so on, um, who are offering their clients or their managers um, the ability to trade crypto assets and to hold those crypto assets um, safely. So that's the, if you like, the today now business, the core business, which generates the cash flows. Um, we're also seeing um, some institutions, um, some banks using blockchain-based systems at an experimental stage um, to do um, settlements between them. For, for example, I was in uh, New York a few weeks ago and I uh, was told that Goldman's and JPM use a blockchain-based um, uh, system to settle um, bilateral overnight positions between the two banks. This is a very early baby steps, but it shows that the big institutions are embracing this technology. I mean, and that's very abstracted from the more general price falls in crypto markets that we've seen has has the winter quote unquote had an impact on what those banks those institutions are looking to do in other areas like settlement as you said no i don't think so i think it's actually rather helped to focus attention on the long-term underlying technology and the potential it has to mm. um, first of all improve and then ultimately um perhaps revolutionize um, the way financial services um, works. And I, I emphasize those two separate steps because I think they are two separate steps. Obviously, for companies that are um, in this marketplace as sort of crypto native startups who are dependent on um, crypto asset trading and custody for their cash flows, um, it, it, this comes with a price. But I think the general view across the industry uh, when I say the industry, I mean the non-retail facing part of the industry, those that are actually interested in creating the underpinning uh, technology for the future and dealing with institutions. I think the general view is that the shakeout has been beneficial and that it, it has allowed um, the more serious players to focus on the future and it has allowed the um, institutions and the uh, infrastructure providers to start to think about this as a, as a longer term, more serious play, and, and it's reduced the noise coming from the retail end of the market. That, that shakeout's a common theme that you hear at the moment. Is, is what you're saying there a bit of an admission that there were maybe too many substandard or subscale players in the market that the winter has basically just found out? Well, I think there was, um, uh, I think, there was too little regulation in, in this space. Uh, it was um, it was a um, poorly regulated space, mm. and the again the providers divide into two camps: those who are whose business model depends on pitching to retail uh, mm. investors, um, who tend to be pretty hostile to regulation in any form, and those who are in this for a longer longer term play, uh, who see the construction of a new underpinning architecture for financial services as the real price here. And those players, and that includes copper, um, very much want the space to be regulated and um, you know, know that we can't make progress 
without proper regulation. Nobody's going to yeah. allow the growth of a, of, of a new trading infrastructure um, uh, that's potentially systemically important without a proper framework of regulation around it. So we see others, the European Union, for example, starting to move to regulate this space properly, the Swiss. Um, mm. And I'm a little disappointed that the UK is as far behind as it is, because I think the UK not only has the opportunity and the track record of being pretty good at exploiting um, regulatory opportunities, opportunities to use our regulatory agility to create new markets here in the UK. But clearly, post-Brexit, thinking about our future as a financial services centre, we also have the burning platform that ought to give us the motive to get on and do this. So mm -hmm. I hope that under the new government, um, with Rishi Sunak, who, who was a champion um, of um, moving forward in this space as Chancellor, I hope that with him as Prime Minister, we will see the UK moving to become the recognised leader in this space. Why don't you think we haven't achieved that leadership yet? I mean, we've been talking about this for, for years in, in Whitehall about making a crypto hub and, and all the rest of it. Why do you think we are behind? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, I think our regulators are struggling with bandwidth. Post-Brexit, there was a tremendous burden on the regulators just dealing with the temporary permissions regimes in both directions that had to be put in place. And I think that did chew up a lot of, uh, a lot of regulated time and, and attention. Um, secondly, I think they're struggling uh, to recruit and retain people that really understand the crypto um, environment and the, and the blockchain um, infrastructure that underpins it. Um, and thirdly, um, there's been a lot of distractions uh, during this period, you might have noticed. And, um, you know, politicians perhaps have not been as focused on um, setting out the, uh, the rules for this environment as they might be. I hope that's now going to change. Mm. We've got a big financial services um, bill due to come through Parliament uh, starting very soon. And I hope the government will do what it said um, earlier this year it would do use that bill to create a proper framework of regulation for um, those who want to move forward with infrastructure development in this space. Will it be politically tough to keep that high on the agenda though? You know, you've got inflation, cost of living crisis, Russia, Ukraine, and then politicians have to make the argument for you know, increased attention on something like crypto as well. So I think it's part of the, um, the UK growth plan and it should be presented in that way. And, and that growth plan um, has to have many, many strands to it. Um, I think we're finally getting the message um, coming through now through the chaos of the last uh, couple of months that you know fiscal um, issues, we've got some big challenges, but we will um, manage them. We have to, yeah. the markets will insist on it. And the markets are back in control on macro fiscal policy. Um, but I think the, um, there's an increasing awareness that we haven't got a growth agenda. Um, you know, the Liz Trust government, short lived, had a single tool for growth, cutting taxes with borrowed money. That's not going to happen. The government before that uh, had an agenda around um, leveling up and doing fantastic trade deals with the US. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. Um, so I think the, the current government, when it does 
make its uh, financial statement on the 17th of November, will have to set out a clear direction for doing growth the hard way. No, no magic pills, silver bullets anymore. It's about um, a series of measures, some short-term measures, which will deliver quick wins for the economy. For example, um, increasing the number of migrant workers that can enter the UK. There are plenty of businesses that would um, uh, be able to expand if they could get access to labor, and they'll do that right away. Uh, Medium-term measures like planning reform that will ensure that as we go through the next cycle, um, we are able to build the homes and the commercial buildings that uh, households and businesses need. And then some much longer term measures like um, skills that will ensure the UK has a bright future in the, uh, in the longer term. And getting the financial services environment right is a, a key part of that. This is Britain's single biggest um, mm. uh, economic sector and making sure that it is growing vigorously in the future is important to the whole UK. Uh, re re remind ourselves again that there are more people employed in financial services outside London than there are in mm. London. This is not a London street. It's a UK-wide industry with important bases in Edinburgh, Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, Belfast, um, providing employment and prosperity across the country. Yeah, that that political environment fits very neatly into um, one of the questions we've had in from the audience. So thanks very much for those. Keep sending them in. It's from Lee. It said, do you think governments will each launch their own digital currency based on blockchain for legitimate trade and investments? If so, roughly when? I think the answer to that is maybe. Um, different governments, of course, have different incentives here. Um, without naming any names, you know, some governments are eyeing um, uh, CBDCs essentially as a way of abolishing cash and being able to track um, all activity uh, on the blockchain. And you can envisage those governments wanting full government access to um, the blockchain. Um, other governments are looking at it more as an enabler of commercial transactions. And I think um, perhaps are not yet decided whether CBDCs in themselves are necessary or whether an appropriately regulated stablecoin um, regime will deliver the uh, economic uh, benefits of um, having such a currency without necessarily the central bank having to be directly involved in issuing. Another excellent um, question that's coming on, on a similar topic from Sarah here. Um, so, so as we have seen, when legislators and regulators pull in different directions, there is market chaos. How do we know, even if the regulator starts to look at this, that the right approach, which provides for growth, as you said, but also investor protection, won't always be in conflict? For example, how a regulator could do the best job, I mean, could do a great job. I mean, there's no business in the UK. How do we get the balance right? Well, we set the rules for the regulator. Um, and that's what the Financial Services and Markets Bill um, will uh, potentially do. It will set out for the regulator what their obligations and duties are. And there's no reason at all why we shouldn't um, instruct the regulator that in certain areas, um, one, of the, um, one of the objectives that it has to deliver is um, 
a growing um, volume of business in that area within our jurisdiction or a leading role for this jurisdiction um, in that um, activity. Of course, um, the questioner is absolutely right. Um, the, the easiest thing for regulators would be to shut the business down altogether. There will, there will never be a trade goes wrong if you have no trades. Um, that clearly isn't the purpose. And to be fair, the UK's regulatory regime over many, many years has shown itself to be uh, very adept at creating well-regulated space that gets that balance right between protect you. There's two things regulators must do. They must protect retail investors, consumers, and they must protect the system against systemic risk. Uh, those are, those are non-negotiable obligations for a regulator. But in a wholesale market where um, retail investors are not involved, um, the issue is the trade-off between um, managing systemic risk mm. and encouraging um, new areas of business, which obviously any new activity involves embracing some risk. And I think that's where we've got to get the balance exactly right. And the regulators need to know that they've got political support. They need to start with sandboxes, yeah. build slowly and carefully. Um, but I do believe we need to make sure that the UK is right up there with the leaders uh, in this space. Have they done enough to leverage the private sector experience that you run into on a daily basis? Those guys at you know banks, asset managers, institutions who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to crypto investing. Well, I don't, I don't think we have yet. I don't think we've got a forum for harvesting that knowledge and information. I also personally think um, that the only way we will create the bandwidth within the regulator quickly is for the regulator to set up a regime for secondments from the private sector into the regulator. We need, we need to overcome our sort of rather British disdain for the idea of secondment to the regulator. It's commonplace in the US. Uh, and we need to create the same environment here where um, for, for anybody building a career in a, in, a, in a financial services sector, having done a short stint in the regulator on secondment is a, is a positive yeah. for career growth. Um, and I think that's, that's the way in which we can get people with real skills, real deep technical skills in this area into the regulatory space for short periods of time quickly and allow the regulator to build uh, the capacity to respond to the, the to the need um, to regulate in this area. What about for banks and institutions? Because what what I hear when I talk to them is, oh yeah, we'd love to build a crypto team. We're dipping our toe in, but I can't really find anyone who knows what they're talking about. And when I can, they're incredibly expensive. How do we plug just the fundamental skills gap before anything else? Um, I think that is the way it is, um, and I think um, there are. There are two routes for the institutions. They can either try to build in-house or they can um, take stakes in um, startups, scale-ups and, and um, try to nurture um, uh, new capacity that way with a view perhaps to taking um, bigger stakes or even control at a later stage. And some, some banks um, are, are using both tactics. They're building in-house um, but they're also hedging their bets by um, scattering some capital into um, various um, early stage businesses outside. Um, 
people who genuinely understand this space and are able to deliver workable solutions are few and far between and they they either come very expensive or they come with an equity participation and i think the institutions have just got to um, got to accept that but i do think it's really important for the future of this space that we now have full institutional engagement it's only a few years ago and i can speak from direct experience when i was in office that the big global banks were treating uh, crypto as um, something to be kicked back into the gutter. Um, we can squash this if we if we work together and work hard enough. I don't think there's any there are any banks left who believe that today. Crypto is here to stay, and it will the chance of it being becoming established, digital um, digital infrastructure becoming established, and the potential of digital trading techniques being um, being harvested, harnessed, is much increased by the fact that the major institutions are involved. Makes it easier for the regulators um, to work with the sector. Um, it makes it more likely that it can be quickly rolled out. It ensures access to capital. Um, it just makes it altogether a more saleable proposition. This will be a big disappointment to some of the early crypto evangelists mm -hmm. who see this primarily through the, the lens of decentralization and disintermediation, a way to kill off the banking sector. That is certainly not the way I think the serious players see it. Um, they see it as a way to transition the, the banking sector from um, the sort of era of double entry bookkeeping to the era of blockchain. We talked about the impact the crypto winter might have on the future of, of adopting these crypto technologies. But what about within the banking sector, one of the other main headwinds? You know, capital markets activity is, is subdued. There's not a lot of IPOs going on. There's not a lot of M&A going on. Are you hearing from institutions going, well, this just gives me a little kick up the backside to go for another revenue stream? Yeah, I think, look, I think... Um... Blockchain enabled um, trading and custody is first of all, a better, more efficient ledger keeping exercise for banks. It's quicker, uh, it requires much uh, smaller back office um, uh, facility, uh, and it allows capital to be used much, much more efficiently. Uh, so I think that's the first win for the banks. It's a, it's a significant cost saving and security enhancing exercise, but they can also see that as you move to on-chain activity um, settled in more or less real time, there are huge new opportunities for new products opening up uh, and new marketplaces opening up. Uh, and that will, that will be the second wave effect, the second order effect, if you like. Um, but I think the banks can now see a very tangible early win through cost savings and more efficient uh, deployment of capital and a whole series of um, further wins over time as new products get built on the back of the proven technology. How long can that last though? I mean, take me to a question from uh, Lynn here in the audience. Thank you, Lynn, who says, even if we see a crypto spring, if we are in or heading for a global recession, will banks and other institutions re just retreat from the market? No, I don't think so. I think um, the, the big institutions 
Um, of course, they flex activity in um, in response to short term pressures and opportunities. But I think they're they're also pretty good at seeing long term strategic trends and betting what are frankly very small amounts of money for them. Um, you know, even the 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 and I won't name them, but you know, big U.S. banks mm -hmm. with the biggest programs in this space. You know, they might be spending a billion dollars. I mean, it's it's um, chicken feed for a for a global um, bank. I don't think they're going to risk being left behind in such a potentially transformative technology area. And one, one more question coming in. Thanks so much. A good few coming in now from Ramesh. If a government is able to establish a cashless society through blockchain and crypto, how would it be able to interact with the global financial system? Well, I suppose um, uh, you're that it presupposes that there is a degree of globalization mm. of, um, uh, of, of the digitized solution. So clearly, um, no central bank is going to want to move to a, a CBDC only environment um, unless um, other key central banks with which it interfaces and interacts um, have done the same. But I, I would have thought that's a relatively um, uh, a relatively solvable problem. I don't certainly in the West, um, central banks are not going to do this on their own. This, mm -hmm. is, this is going to be a uh, um, uh, I suspect a, a BISFSB-led um, move. Um, it's going to be with an agreed set of ground rules between the major central banks, and it's going to be an incremental uh, process. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be very cautious, um, but ultimately, it can still be transformative. There's so much influence the government has over the future direction of this with, as you said, all the chaos and reshuffling going on. Are we ever going to see you back in back in the hot seat on the on the backbenchers fighting, uh, fighting for all of this? Well, I'm, I'm in the House of Lords on the backbenches and I intend to stay on the backbenches there. But I certainly um, want to, as these debates uh, go through Parliament, I will want to be making the case for the UK to be a leader um, in this field. Um, we have some natural advantages. We are one of the world's leading um, financial services centers. So we're, we've got the cred, as it were, to do this. Um, but we are more agile and more nimble than the US can ever be because of its um, uh, various regulators, overlapping regulatory regimes, and this constant um, challenge of the interaction of the federal and state-based government mm. systems. So we have an opportunity here if we choose to take it. The prize could be very big, um, but if we snooze, I'm afraid we're going to lose on this occasion because others are moving already. And, and in the US, um, uh, people are sounding the warning signs, uh, serious people writing in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, that if the US does not move quickly in this area, not only um, US financial services industry dominance could be challenged, but the dominance of the dollar itself could prove to be at risk. And I think there's a strategic argument for the US to move in this space as well as a, an economic one. You mentioned that the US institutions, despite those regulatory headwinds seemingly taking a lot of advantage and, and spending a decent amount maybe compared to UK or, U, or EU on this, how big is that gap, do you think, at 
the moment. Do you see any UK players, apart from your good selves, obviously, doing something that's you know really going above and beyond, or do you still think the major innovation that you're seeing is over stateside? No, I don't think the major the major innovation is stateside at all. I think um, we've got institutions in the UK, um, possibly in Europe, um, in the Far East, um, mm. who are investing. Uh, time and money uh, in this area. Of course, the big US banks are in this space as well, but they're, they're, they're in this space as global players, not um, necessarily thinking about um, operations within um, the US. Yeah. And, and what, what you can do and where you can do it is determined by regulators and legislators. And for the global banks, um, they will choose jurisdictions for their, their digital activity, where they find a regime which has got the right balance. It's not about, it's not about the most uh, permissive or flexible regime. It's about the, the best regime, the one with the right balance between being a well-regulated, properly disciplined environment that people can trust and that has international credibility on the one hand, but also being welcoming uh to uh, innovative business activity on the other yeah. we've just got time for one last question this one's from neil why can't the banks use the crypto technology i.e blockchain without adopting the cryptocurrency oh well they can um and clearly uh, i gave the example earlier on of um, jpm and goldman's using a blockchain based system to settle their bilateral overnight um, positions um, this is a baby step, but there will be many more areas where blockchain um, can be used to um, uh, reinforce systems that we're already familiar with. I think it's very important to remember that it is basically just a much smarter, safer and quicker ledger. Everything else is built on top of that. But that is all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much, Lord Hammond, for giving up your time. Uh, we hope to see you all again tomorrow for another Barons Live. Mansion Global's Leslie Hendrickson will be speaking with experts from Realtor.com, Compass Nashville and Douglas Elman, Florida, on the hottest US real estate markets and a look ahead to 2023. Thanks so much for listening again. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.